What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster TO and Fanta Podcast, your favorite DTF podcast. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined today by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta from Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network and everywhere else, basically, on the internet that you can find anything about college basketball. And Terrence Oglesby, who is right now sitting in a courtyard Marriott in the middle of Piscataway, New Jersey, fresh off of a trip. To the Bahamas, Tio. I got to ask you right now. All right, I need you. I need your honest opinion. Atlantis in the Bahamas, or, East or the Piscataway. Courtyard Marriott in Piscataway, New Jersey. What's better? I don't know. It, I don't know what hotel I'm in, but whatever hotel I'm in, I don't understand the point of decaffeinated dark coffee. Like, what are we doing here? If I'm taking a trip to East Piscataway, you better have the good stuff. Don't come over here and bring over bring over some non-caffeinated nonsense into my room. Hotel's fine, East Piscataway. My first time. It's uh, it's 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 East Piscataway. I had I had a solid uh, dinner last night, a little Mexican restaurant right around the corner. But it it's it's not as bad as what it's built up to be. I'm a big New Jersey guy. <laughs> big East guy, New Jersey guy. There you go. Yeah. It's great. All three of us are in the same state right now and not anywhere near each other, which is yeah. <laughs> on the podcast that way um, on a Zoom. So, but my story about Piscataway. My my father grew up in Piscataway. My grandfather was. Uh, a professor at Rutgers for about 50 years. Um, and I was telling you guys a little bit about this off air, but the first time I ever experienced storming the field or storming the court, I think I was like 10 years old and it was a Rutgers football game. And I'll never forget it because they were 0 and 9 and Syracuse at the time was 1 and 8. And this was back when Rutgers and Syracuse were both still in the Big East. <laughs> Rutgers won the game on a last second field goal and all 27 fans in the crowd stormed the field, including us uh, after the game, which was <laughs> quite <laughs> quite something man when you guys no all thing. met at the 50 you all met at the 50 yeah hey yeah you know what every one of us got to shake one player's hand because there were that many uh there were <laughs> that few fans in the stands Phantom, what's going on man how you doing over there everything is great in hoboken uh, where the red sauce is always flowing uh, and so is the red um all's well hey new week we got uh, acc big 10 challenge We've got the Big 12 Big East battle uh, getting revved up this week as well. And uh, we're through Feast Week, gentlemen. Had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Tried deep-fried turkey for the first time, and there's no other way to do turkey after having that. Well, there you go. Yeah, I saw your uh, your pictures of it. I was very glad that you didn't end up burning any houses down while you uh, while you put the- I've seen I've seen way too many videos of people trying to deep-fry a turkey and having it go horribly, horribly wrong. So I'm very glad that you survived. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And it, honestly, that sounds like a T.O. thing. That sounds like a Southern thing. A, a deep fried turkey. Oh, I'm going to deep fry this turkey. I'm going to deep fry the stuff. I'm going to deep fry everything. 
No, we, it, I only got a uh, Thanksgiving breakfast with the kids because uh, those dogs and my ki- and my and my beautiful wife got to stay in the Bahamas until Saturday. I came back and called Clemson and Charleston Southern, which was good. It was good. And then you, you, um, don't, you don't have to lie about that. Yeah, it was it was what it was. I mean, everybody knows what that game's there for. But other than that, I mean, it, it, it was it was fine. I got to watch some basketball. Uh, I was there for that beautiful UConn Auburn game, which was one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. I was sitting beside Mike Schmidt, who uh, does all the NBA draft coverage for ESPN. And there was a couple of times I almost fell out of my seat. And I looked down at Mike and he's just shaking his head like, good Lord, like what, what else? It was one of the best games I've ever seen. And Katie Johnson, we said it on the After Dark show after all that. That dude is insane. He is a crazy person. And I loved every bit of it. And I don't he's not that kind of kid off the court, but I love guys that can just switch it on and turn into that guy. And uh, he's one of those, man, like he some of the stuff that he did, stealing tips, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the game tying layup towards the end of the game. And then, you know, UConn just always had an answer. It was such a fun game to watch. That dude was built to play for Bruce Pearl. Like if, you, if Bruce Pearl went into a lab and he's like, all right, I'm going to develop a basketball player to play guard for me in my basketball program. But he would build Katie Johnson like he's he is the perfect yep. Bruce Bruce Pearl uh, basketball player. Before we kind of get into some takeaways, I do just want to know, like, I've never been to Atlantis, right? Finn, I don't know if you've been, but I'm no. sure there's a lot of our listeners that have never been there. Can you just kind of take us through what the vibe of that event is? You know, it's it's at a resort, and they're playing in a ballroom, and it's in the middle of the Bahamas, and how often do you see basketball there? But it seems like it's turned into, um, you know, the, the my, my favorite part of Feast Week is you get, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the Maui Invitational. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is the battle for Atlantis. And like that is that's the way the week is kind of built. And you have these other great games kind of interspersed in. But those are the two main attractions for me at this point. So talk, what, what, what is the experience like at Atlantis for those games? It's, it's actually the perfect size for an MTV, an MTE that's so far away from all the schools and that people can't drive to. Because if you get too big, sometimes it can have kind of a hollow feel inside the gym. But the roof's a little low. Uh, you know, there, there's just enough seats for all the fans. And I will say this, it holds the sound in really well. Like, that's it, it's, a, it's a really cool, and, and I didn't realize how well that UConn traveled down, how well that Auburn traveled. Like, it holds, it holds everything in. And then you have everything from the Junkanoo, which is uh, the bands and the drums and all the costumes and all that stuff that come and help you, you guys saw Jim Dykes bust who <laughs> start dancing after the game with uh, Scott Drew, which was equally uh, cringeworthy and funny. But it was like there was just so much. Uh, they do a nice job down there. I think they were a bit overwhelmed because they added the women's part this year. And it was, uh, I, they didn't have all the t-shirts that I wanted because I wanted one from each, each side. But for the most part, a, a really well-run event. Uh, you know, the guys are dressing in meeting rooms. Uh, there's only a couple of bathrooms and they go straight from their hotel room right down to the game. And it's, uh, it's a really cool event. And just, just the island itself, it, you have everything. You have something for adults, you have something for kids, there's gambling, there's it's it's a it's a great place to be and uh to be able to mix it all in with some high level basketball was big time but i think the biggest takeaway rob is the fact that it holds the sound in and it almost electrifies some of the intensity to another level because everything kind of echoes it's a really cool it's a really cool venue 
Yep. All right. So let's talk about Feast Week. Let's get into some of our biggest takeaways from the week. Fanta, I'm going to go to you first. Um, you know, we're 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 about four or five days removed from Duke and Zaga right now, which a lot of people thought was uh, one of the, if not the best games of the college basketball season. I don't know how many we're going to get that are going to be better than that. So talk me through some of your reactions, some of the ways that you feel about that. You know, we I don't think we've spoken on this pod since Duke UCLA, I'm sorry, uh, Gonzaga UCLA either. So um, what, what, what are your takeaways from some of those events in Vegas? Well, my takeaway is that Duke is the best defensive team in the country. And that's why they're ranked number one, because they did a terrific job defensively against Gonzaga. Look, Gonzaga is hard to stop. There's going to be some nights where you simply cannot stop the Zags uh, because if they're hitting perimeter shots, then I don't know what you really, what you do over the course of 40 minutes. Duke just got out on them. Their length was so effective in that game. And that's how they dictated the game. They also did it the Apollo Bancaro saying, I am the best player in this game. He made a resounding statement. And when they were up three at the half, I'm sitting in my hotel room and I'm thinking, man, I don't think Gonzaga played all that well. I mean, look, they couldn't hit a perimeter shot. I don't know if that's the best sign for Duke. Can Duke actually, like, can Duke do this for 40 minutes against the Zags? And then they kept doing it. And the reason why they did it, Rob and T.O., is because Mark Williams has an everlasting impact on a game right now. Um, and and when, when he comes off, you have Theo John coming in. So they have legit they, – they have no drop-off in their post-play. And I think that uh, – Wendell Moore has, has in fact, taken the next step in his game. Jeremy Roach hits a big-time shot down the stretch. So, for me, um, what, what stands out about Duke is we were concerned after the win over Kentucky. Well, can you beat them by packing it in and making them take perimeter shots? That certainly is the formula um, and hope that they're off and then hope that their defense is a little off kilter. But what I love about this Duke team is you could tell Mike Krzyzewski spent the whole summer on campus yeah. uh, putting in a defense because this group plays together on the defensive end. And that's why they are absolutely deserving of being the number one team in the country. I think another big takeaway guys is Drew Timmy struggles with big athletes, big, and he still ended up with good numbers. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at his line, seven to 13, five boards, five assists, but, he struggles to get out of the block sometimes in moments where they really needed him. So I think Mark Williams, to what you're saying, Fanta, the guy's incredible. His length is a game changer, and you sub in Theo John, who's just in there to mix it up. He's not going to score a ton of points. He's just going to go in there. He's going to be mean. He only played – how many minutes do you think he played? I know how – it's 12. He played 12, 12 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, 12 minutes, but they're hugely impactful. Yep. So I, that goes along to say both – neither team shot 31% from three which was telling to me. And those are two concerns that we've had coming into the season about both teams. Right. Uh, I will say this, they still scored 84 and 81 points, <laughs> which is insane in its own right. Uh, Trevor Keels. I know we, we give Paolo Bancaro a lot of credit. We give him a lot of credit. We give Chet Holmgren a lot of credit. The third or fourth best freshman in the country might also be playing for Duke and Trevor Keels. Like that guy has been outstanding. I mean, he controls the pace. He plays point for him. Wendell Moore, like you said, has, has taken another step. I, Wendell Moore is who Wendell Moore I thought he was going to be last year. 
it's like he is completely taking control of the offense. He's completely taking control of the team. And he has turned into that defensive-minded point guard that because he's adapting a different way of playing and attacking a defense, it's benefiting him because he's being a little bit more patient. He's just taking angles. And because he's so big and athletic at the guard position, what is he, 6'6", 210? Like, because he's so big and athletic, he's able to thrive with just being that second or third guy. And it showed. You know what else it is? The game slowed down for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. It did. He's starting to figure out, like, what is happening on a basketball court. And we talked about this a little bit last night with with Steve Prelm and Randolph Childress on After Dark. But it's – it's nice to see guys that have kind of run their own race and done it at their own. Pace I love that saying have, have success. Right. Because here's a guy like how easy could it have been for him to be one of these guys that, that, that is a McDonald's all American. That's a five-star prospect that comes into Duke. That is not a one and done and everything just kind of blows up from there. And we see him go the route of some of these other guys that just don't end up making it to the league. Well, I mean, he's going to make it to the league. He's going to play in the NBA. I don't know if he's a first round pick. I don't know if he's a second round pick. That dude's going to play in the NBA. He's going to make a bunch of money as a professional basketball player. I don't know if he would have said that necessarily after his freshman season. So nice to see someone that has stayed the course and understood that just because it takes you three years in college doesn't mean you can't end up being a great pro one day. Look at Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte was in college for like six years. Yeah, He's now the best, one of the best rookies in, uh, in the NBA this year and a guy that's going to make a ton of money playing pro ball. So hey, I can love- I say one more thing? Can I say yeah, one ahead. more thing about this game? Uh, Duke had 23 points off turnovers against Gonzaga, just to kind of reemphasize what Fanta said about Duke's defense. They are incredible. Like it, it, their length, Mark Williams. And if you are able to get past those guard, Mark Williams is just sitting down there waiting on you. Yeah, that was that's my biggest takeaway from this game is that Mark Williams is going to have the impact on Duke's defense that we all say Chet Holmgren is going to have on Gonzaga's defense. Yeah, not 175 pounds. Now he's not a guy that's going to space the floor. We saw what happened when he took that three and immediately mm-hmm. got yanked by Coach K. <laughs> but his his ability to just be seven foot one with a seven foot five wingspan and understand where he needs to be positionally is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's elite at this point. I don't know what else you can say. Like he's in the right spot. I th- yep. And I, I don't know if that's an extra year on campus. I don't know if that's having um, coach K around, but I, I don't know if that's just who he is as a player. Maybe he just naturally understands where he's supposed to be, but he's always in the right spot. And when you have that rim protector, CO, you know this man, when you have that rim protector, cause you got beat off the dribble a lot. So when you have that guy behind you, you feel a lot better about getting beat off the dribble than you would if you don't have that rim protector. So. That was well done. I'm not even. I'm not even going to come back. That was well done. All right. So uh, let, let's just. Are we going to address on. Gonzaga? Are we going to? Yeah, I was going to say. Let's put a ball on this. Um, yeah. Fanta, talk to me about Gonzaga. Are you concerned at all, or is this just you play three top five teams? You're probably going to end up losing one of those games. Yeah, I mean, entering Friday night's game, they had won 67 of their last 70 games. So. <sighs> as a program. So I'm not concerned at all. Uh, I, I didn't even think that they, they didn't play their a game and Duke had a lot to do with that, but um, no, I'm not concerned because I think that this is all good for this team. I think that Mark few goes back in. It's good. It's good to lose. Like it is, it is good to lose some games. Absolutely. Sometimes we get into the thought of, you know, perfect season unbeaten. It is so hard to put all that together. Um, and, and I think that it's you schedule these games to potentially have a humbling night and to be able to go back to work. And that's look, I'm sure that that that's what they're in the process of doing. Uh, they they played a close game, 
Tarleton State. Uh, but that that's part of that's the after effects of having a very busy week, I think, in, in Las Vegas. This team is excellent. This team could win it all. Um, and they're going to have to, like, I think in this game, to T.O.'s point, Drew Timmy against that physical elite length. What do you do from a spacing perspective if you're Gonzaga to keep that from being a major issue in a game of that magnitude? Um, so that's something that I'm monitoring. But I, I think that Rasir Bolden, yes. I think that Julian Strother um, showed us, again, just the dimension that they provide and, and the difference that they can make. Like when those guys are on for the Zags, good things are going to happen for this team, like championship level things. So I'm, I'm still convinced um, that the Zags absolutely can, can cut down the nets. And I would be downright shocked if they weren't one of the last four standing in America, because I think that Andrew Nemhard um, looks like the best point guard in the country at times. So mm-hmm. the, this Gonzaga team is still in excellent shape. And I'm going to call this a good loss. Um, I don't mind a loss at this stage of the season. In fact, I I think it's better to lose in November um, than to be perfect in February. My my biggest concern was kind of exposed with this Gonzaga team, though. Do they have the physicality and the defensive toughness on their front line to be able to compete with the best teams in college basketball, all of whom have monsters this year, right? Like That's the thing about college basketball. The best teams have great bigs whether it's Paolo and Mark Williams, whether it's Trevion and Zach Eady, whether it's Kofi Coburn, whether it's Hunter Dickinson, you know, and for everything that Drew Timmy does well, he's not a guy that is going to be great at kind of walling up and keeping a six foot 10, 250 pound post player from getting position and getting to the shoulder he wants to get over, right? Chet Holmgren, great rim protector, not somebody that you necessarily want defending in the post against some of these big bodies. He's there's going to be times when he's able to make a play just because of his length, but there's also going to be times where he gets put through the basket stanchion because he's just physically, he's just not there yet. And you know, it, it just is, he's 180 pounds. It just is what it is. So um, they're, I mean, they're very, very good. We're, we're kind of picking nits when it comes to breaking them down like this. Um, but I'm concerned about that physicality up front. All right. I'm putting you guys on the spot. Duke, Purdue, Gonzaga, rank them. T.O., you're first. Uh, Duke first. I like Purdue because of the matchup problems that they present in the same manner that Duke presented to Gonzaga. So I'm going to go Duke-Purdue, then Gonzaga. Let's keep in mind, guys, let's not go crazy here. If Gonzaga doesn't turn the ball over 17 times, they win. Because Duke, what, 23 points off turnovers? So, I mean, a lot of that stuff can be hidden if you don't turn the basketball over and they turn it over a lot. Nimbard had 11 assists, but six turnovers. Timmy had five turnovers, very uncharacteristic. So my, my so, question is what's the score of that game. If, uh, if, if Duke does not turn over their, uh, their Gatorade bucket and keep Paolo from being properly hydrated. Dude, how about that? How are we going to, it, it's easy to get, it's easy to get dehydrated in Vegas. I will say that. <laughs> It's really easy to get dehydrated in Vegas, especially as dry as it is. Oh, man. Like, can, we, can we get these cramps figured out? Like, we got to get this dude on the court. We can't have every big game, Paolo disappearing for 15 minutes in the second half. I, I'm willing to chalk game one up. I'm willing to chalk that up to first game nerves, Madison Square Garden, the kids warming up a little too hard. 
I'm willing to chalk this one up to Las Vegas being the driest place on planet Earth besides the Dead Sea. And like you losing water without realize you're lo- realizing you're losing water. So I'm going to chalk those up. If he starts cramping again, then I'm going to start to think about it a little bit more. But uh, I, I, Purdue, man, if they showed anything, they are elite. I, I, I think Duke won, Purdue second, Gonzaga third. And Gonzaga can still win the national championship. I have no doubt in my mind. Fanta? Yeah, I'm going to go with Gonzaga one, uh, Duke two, and Purdue three. I, I still think the Zags are the best team in the country. I, I just I think that they had a, a tougher night. Uh, I think that they had an uncharacteristic evening. And in college basketball, sometimes the best team loses. So they lost this game. Um, they kicked the crap out of UCLA. And UCLA apparently had some illnesses. I don't care. Um, Gonzaga exploited those. And they beat up Texas, uh, a Texas team that has a new coach and still trying to figure out exactly who they are and could be a, could be a really good team. But the fact is, um, I look at the Zags and I see a team that has faced some – top tier exams and happened to not get an A on one of those exams. Like I thought that on a B minus B night for Gonzaga overall, they, they still were right there. Uh, and Duke played a, they played at an A level. Um, I am still going to lean with Gonzaga and maybe for the sake of just being a little bit of a contrarian, uh, I'll, I'll do that. But I, I still love this Zags team. And I think that Chet Holmgren in March is going to be very different than Chet Holmgren in November. Um, I, I do think that he will grow and grow and grow. Um, and Mark Few said it after the UCLA game. He said, Chet has this willingness to get better and be coachable, unlike other freshmen that I've had. That spoke to me. That spoke to me in a lot of ways. So, Man, I, I, I do think that we, we would talk differently about Gonzaga. And, and again, uh, if, if the queen had balls, she'd be the king. But had they not had the off night against and, and run into an absolute freaking buzzsaw in Baylor. Um, and I feel bad that they haven't gotten that one national title. And I don't, I'm not saying you guys are saying this, but I think the country, the country now, because of this loss, is going to say, I don't trust Gonzaga in the final four of the national championship game because they've never been able to do it. Um, and I don't, I don't think you can always say that because I think they, they can do it. I think it's just really hard to win that national championship. I'm still going to go with the Zags one. Um, I actually need to see a little bit more from Purdue uh, on the defensive side of the basketball. I agree with the, the issues with Purdue's defense. I think I would go Purdue 1A, Duke 1B. I think that Purdue's you can't do that. Well, yes, no, I, I, I think it's one A. Well, I'm I'm ranking I'm ranking Purdue ahead of Duke, but it's like by the final. Purdue's one and Duke's two. Yeah. All here, here's what I got to say. What is this participation day? Well, you get yes. participation yes. trophies gets, for your top three. Hey, look, I'm going to go coach my first basketball team for six year olds on on Wednesday, right? And everybody's getting a trophy. That's right. That's right. I'm in a giving mood. It's a holiday. <laughs> just put up a first Christmas tree. Like I just put up my Christmas lights on Sunday. Like I'm in a I'm in a holiday mood, a holiday spirit. Everybody gets something, T.O. Okay, fair enough. Are you trying to not get Twitter comments or something? Because uh... right, okay, whatever. So so Purdue one, Duke two, whatever it is. Um, I think they're very very close though. What I will say is this: I think. Purdue has the bodies to be able to match up with um, with Duke's size as well as anybody in the country. I'm a little bit worried about whether or not 
Caleb first would be able to deal with Paolo. I do think that is- let me let me answer that. <laughs> no, he no wouldn't. one can. But here, here's the thing: I think that 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 might be the one game where you're actually able to play Zach Eady and Trevion together, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Mm-hmm. The big concern I would have in that matchup if they played each other, which by the way, whoever was the schedule maker for the ACC Big Ten Challenge and decided to have number one Duke on the road, number two Purdue playing at home, and Duke not playing at Mackey this week, like that person's got to be fired, right? Like, yeah. we, we got to get him up out of that job. <laughs> Think about it, man. Like, look, Duke, that, that's what the narrative is in college basketball right now. Is it Duke number one or is it Purdue number one? And we could have number one playing at number two tonight. But somebody decided that Duke needs to go to Ohio State and somebody else decided that Purdue needed to get a visit from Florida State. Can we flex that? Like, Is it too late to switch that? Yeah. <sighs> And I, I, I will say this, that Purdue-Florida State is going to be fun to watch. I think Purdue's going to end up getting them, but you know, talk yeah, well, about size actually, on both actually, sides of the actually ball. actually leads to my point that I was going to make about Duke is with that matchup, Duke can switch everything, and they can take you out of what you want to run. Like when the throwback Duke teams, what they do best is they get out and press you, they overplay passing lanes, they don't let you run your stuff, and they basically dare you to beat them one-on-one. And I don't know if Purdue has enough dudes to be able to do that. I know they have one dude that can do that and his name is Jaden Ivey um I know they have another dude that if you just want to go four out and throw the ball into Zach Eady as good as Mark Williams is like Zach Eady's a monster bro like that dude that 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 dude is something else it's amazing when you see him in person and see him go up against other enormous human beings like Armando Baycott who look basically looks like yeah it looks like it looks like my son standing next to me it's incredible how large that man is and how well he can move for somebody that is seven foot four and 290 pounds or whatever he is. All Let's right. not forget Trevion Williams. If he gets that ball at about 15 feet, there's not a lot of people that can guard him out there either. No. And for a Duke team that needs somebody, or, or if you're going to play against a Duke team that you're going to have to create something on your own because they're going to get out in the passing lanes because they're playing like they used to, not like they have the five, last five or six years. Like, if he's able to get it at about 15 feet, he's a tough cover, too, man. Like, Purdue, Purdue's good. They're really, really good. Yeah, and he could pass out of the post, too. Like, if you send a double at Trevion, you're you're going to be dead. Purdue's going to get a wide open three. Mm. I think that's what makes him so dangerous. All right, uh, let's move on. Biggest Feast Week takeaways. Uh, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. What is your single biggest Feast Week takeaway? Uh, the West Coast Conference isn't just Gonzaga. I think uh, with BYU winning and San San Francisco both being undefeated, and I haven't looked at San Francisco's schedule, so don't get on me too quick, but they're still 8-0. So, like, they're undefeated. St. Mary's and Tommy Cousy, I love that guy. Like, I haven't had a – I'm an East Coast guy. I'm in the Southeast. Like, I don't have a ton of chances to watch St. Mary's. But watching him at the Maui Invitational or the Las Vegas Invitational or whatever the heck it was over there, there weren't a whole lot of people in attendance. But – he put on a show, especially the first two games against Notre Dame and Oregon, like his change of pace. He's a pretty physically strong kid. So like he gets into the paint whenever he is, he's kind of got this herky jerk game and he's an excellent passer and St. Mary's has got guys around him. Like West coast conference is good. Now, none of them are as good as Gonzaga. Gonzaga's still going to run the table. And if, you know, St. Mary's has a great day. He's going to run the table. Well, you go to the Marriott center, 22,000, BYU students screaming. Oh, yeah, that's that true, too. Tough. Yeah, that's tough. always has trouble with, with BYU. And, and the thing about it is, like, every game that Gonzaga plays on the road is their, is the, the other team's Super Bowl. 
So you're getting literally every single team's best shot. And eventually there's going to be a point when they kind of so someone gets them. Especially like Duke this year. Duke, Duke over here on this coast. Yeah. Someone's going to get them at some point, but they're clearly the best team in the ACC, right? Duke or WCC with Gonzaga? Who are we oh. talking about? Oh. Yeah, yeah. They're clear, clearly the best teams. Clearly the best teams. But I mean, the top five or the top five or six in that conference here, were really here's the funny. The funny thing is, there's a larger gap between Duke and the second best team in the ACC than there is between Gonzaga <laughs> and BYU. And it hurts. And it hurts me. It hurts me. It is. It, it's been brutal over here. Like I'm sitting here watching every night. I'm thinking this is the biggest Big Ten ACC challenge for the ACC since the start of the event. And what does the ACC do? Go 0-2 in the first two freaking games. <laughs> I'm just struggling. Like, there's, they're going to have to – like, this has tournament implications. Fandy, you've talked about it. Doster, you guys have talked about it. Like, sure, you want to lose and grow, or you don't want to lose, but you get what I'm saying. Like, Texas is okay with losing. Gonzaga is okay with losing. You're going to be able to grow because you know you're going to make the tournament. Some of the teams in the ACC don't have that luxury. So what do you need to happen? The conference needs to be good so you can get more teams in. When the conference is strong, when the ACC is strong, they're getting eight, nine teams in. Mm-mm. Not this year. And if they do it right, you're probably looking at five or six as of right now. So, like, that needs to the, – the next few days for the ACC is critical. Oh, are you kidding? It's huge. Critical. Because guess what? If you don't make some hay this week, you're, you're running out of time. I mean, your league play starts on Friday. Yeah. Okay. And then you might have one or two other non-conference games. Then we get to the end of December. Once we hit after Christmas, if your resume is lacking, you're in a really difficult spot. Yeah. Like you, you better, you better get some two or three, even four road wins in your league that are somewhat impressive. Mm-hmm. Because you're then forced into a corner. And the fact of the matter is this. If Virginia and Virginia Tech are both without much on their resume heading into conference play, and then one of one beats the other, it, it doesn't it doesn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a resume game changer if your resume is not built up itself. So that's the point. That's why the Big Ten got as many teams as they got in. They they did a terrific job in non-conference play. And then when conference play starts, if you're in the conference office, you're sitting in the boardroom with a with a bucket of popcorn saying, damn, this is fun. I know these two teams are going to the NCAA tournament. I have nothing to worry about. Here's that Fox broadcast opportunity, or here's that game on ESPN Super Tuesday, and, and the loser shouldn't feel all that bad. Like, during league play, if a team knows they're going to the tournament and they lose a game in the middle of February on the road, they're not, they're not nearly as – they're not nearly as upset as if their season's on the line or in events like this. It, this is a much more important time than it gets respected for nationally in college basketball because it is a time where the committee looks hard at it and says, who did you play that's out of your, that's, that's out of your league and who did you beat? Mm-hmm. Brutal, brutal time for the ACC right now. Like, right. got to win games. Got to win games. Manta, give me your, uh, give me your biggest piece week takeaway. The Florida Gators are a top twenty team in America. It might be top fifteen. I love what Mike White has done with this group, and to bring in transfer after transfer. Your top seven players are transfers. Tyree Appleby with the thrilling game winner against Ohio State. But guys. A Michigan transfer, uh, previously there to start his career in Colin Castleton, who is just built and built. He's made progression. 
He's an elite post presence. He goes for 11 and 13. Can I, can I add on that real quick about Colin Castleton? Yeah. I don't know if people realize this. The dude is averaging 15 points, 10 boards, three blocks, and two and a half assists. Yeah, guys. Can we yeah. put some respect on that dude's name? Like, he is having an unbelievable season. Like, you got to start making an argument about him, like, potentially being in that All-American conversation. I know there's a ton of great bigs in college basketball. Colin Castleton is one of them. You're right about that. Well, I just call them elites. I mean, you don't have to talk to me about oh, them. I'm, let, I'm letting the people know. I'm letting the people know. Yeah. Like, this dude's a stud. Yeah, and, and to bring – like, what I loved about the, the performance against Ohio State is that they showed their versatility and that Flanders Fleming Jr. comes off the bench. and C.J. Felder, too. C.J. Felder, too. Yeah, and, and Flanders Fleming scored over 1,500 points at his previous stop, uh, Charleston Southern, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Look, this is a good basketball team. This is a basketball team that had a lot of changes, but I like I like Mike White and the transfer portal. There's something about that dynamic uh, and the Gators culture. Um, I covered Florida a couple years ago at the NCAA regional at Madison Square Garden uh, when when Chris Chiazza hits the big time shot yeah. against uh, an all time game um, against Wisconsin. And I remember being back in the locker room. Guys, I loved what I saw. And it was in that moment that I thought to myself, man, I just got a front door at Mike White, like a, a front porch look. Uh-huh. And I thought, this, this program has it. You know, a lot of people – I've heard that people down in Gainesville actually haven't been the most pleased with, with Coach White because, I don't know, they, they want Final Four, they want national title. They've won an NCAA tournament game each year that he's been there. and And – I think that this is a Florida team that could be a second weekend team that last year should have been a second weekend team, but unraveled to Oral Roberts, just absolutely unraveled in that game. They were up double digits in the second half. Watch out for Florida here. I don't think it was fluky uh, at all in Fort Myers last week. I love this Gators team. And that was my biggest takeaway during feast week because I wasn't sure how good they were. They're pretty doggone they're good. good. They're, they're top 10 on Ken Palm right now. To your point about Mike White, he has uh, been to the last – it would have been the last five NCAA tournaments if COVID didn't cancel the, the 2020 tournament. Um, he's never finished below 41st on Ken Palm in terms of the team ranking. Wow. In the year that he didn't make the tournament in 2016, his first season there, they were 21-15, 9-9 in the SEC, finished 35th in Ken Palm. Um, they made the Elite Eight in 2017. They haven't get, gotten out of the first weekend since then. Um, they haven't finished in the race for the SEC tournament or the SEC regular season title. So the thing on Mike White has been like, yeah, Florida's good, but we have a certain level of expectation coming off of Billy Donovan where we need to be great competing for championships. Because that, that's also like the Florida mindset when it just comes to all sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that he's he's kind of faced a little bit of the uh, – we've been really good – why aren't we growing? Why aren't we going up? Why aren't we hitting this climb? And, and it's sure. ridiculous, especially because last year, if they don't lose Keontae Johnson, they're probably a top 10 team with a very real chance to get to a final four, maybe win an SEC. So uh, I'm happy for Mike. He's a good guy. I'm, I'm glad that they're finding some great guy. Great guy. Building, building a program the, the, the way, I mean, look, you, you mentioned the transfers. I love that he went out and got a couple dudes that were defensive player of the year in their conference. Yes. That's not a, that's not a fluke. They, no. they targeted that. They went after that. They got a couple dudes that were defensive player of the year. Uh, they have Anthony DeRuji, who, like, I think low key greatly improved. 
yeah, greatly he's improved. He's going to find a way into Portsmouth, probably get a two-way kind of a deal because he's just such a damn good defender. Great athlete. I, I'm I'm very excited to watch the, the trajectory of this Florida team. I think they have a chance to win the SEC. My biggest feast week takeaway is that Baylor is the best team in the Big 12. I think that that might be a little bit of a hot take. I think that they have a chance to repeat. But if you just look at the way that that roster is built, let's take their top eight, right? Their guards, James Akinjo, got the average 15 and six at Arizona last year, point guard that can kind of control the game. LJ Cryer, one of the most improved players in the country, shot maker, score, someone that's really showcasing what he can be now that he's not playing behind four NBA players. Right. Uh, you got Adam Flagler, who is just, I mean, we, we know what that kid is at this point, right? Just a bucket, like a, just a really, really good college basketball player. Great shooter. Perfect for a team that wants to be able to space the floor and run ball screens. On the wings, we have Matt Meyer, six foot nine, freak athlete, score, can make threes. Kendall Brown, six foot eight, freak athlete, can guard literally anybody on the basketball court, right? Jeremy Sohan, another guy, six eight, freak athlete, can guard pretty much anybody on the basketball court. You can't get much more switchable and much more versatile than that trio of wings right there. And then you combine all that with Everyday John and Flo Thamba at the five, who just understand what Scott Drew wants out of them and can go out there and do their job. That is a terrific basketball team. They got pros. They got shooters. They got guys that can play the way that Scott Drew wants to play. They're, I don't know if they're in the same tier as a Duke, as a Purdue, and as a Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga but I think they're better than Kansas. I think they're going to win the Big 12 again, and I think they have a very real chance to get back to a Final Four. And if things go the right way, all it takes is one hot shooting night to knock off one of those big boys. So Baylor is legit. They're awesome. Are we going to seamlessly transition into our biggest surprise of the year? Because yeah. that's kind of, that was my biggest surprise of the year. I was worried about how Akinjo was going to be able to handle replacing 309 assists from Butler and uh, uh, Davion, uh, who's playing now at the Sacramento Kings. I was worried how that was going to work. But they replaced those guards with elite size and elite athleticism on the wings. And James Akinjo is good enough to make it all work. Like he's not that guy that, that they were last year as far as getting into the paint and then finding a perfect pass, but they still have so many shot makers. Kendall Brown, I, it was my first time looking at him in person. Like you, you say when a pro walks in the building, you can tell him and so- Sohan have that or Sochan have that. Like big, broad-shouldered dude, six eight, really fluid athletes. That that pass at Akinjo, pass to Sochan, that wasn't an oop. Sochan was such a good athlete, he turned it into one. And defensively, I knew that J- Jonathan Chamwachachua was big. I saw him in person. That is a barrel-chested human at six <laughs> ten, two hundred and sixty pounds. That dude is massive. And, like, I don't – it's hard to put into words his athleticism. He was getting switched out on the guards and handling it fine. Now, it was Arizona State. They don't have elite guards to get into the paint. But at the same time, like, him just being able to get out there and switch. And we talked about how Mark Vidal was so good for that team last year. And Jamwa Chacha was not that. But he still has the ability to stay in front to an extent. And, man, defensively, that team, whew, so good. And so tough and so long and so athletic. It's, I mean, Scott Drew, you want to talk about a blue blood from 2020 on? Baylor might be in the conversation. Like, wow. All right, Fancy, give me your biggest surprise of the season so far. Well, it's Iowa State. Yeah, I forgot about that. 
Yeah. Would have never had them as as an unbeaten team to this point with a first year head coach. Uh, I look at what they did in Brooklyn, and I, I thought they played complimentary basketball. Um, I think that they're going to be a factor in the Big Twelve. If you've never been to Ames, holy cow, is that an atmosphere? There's a real there's a real thing to Hilton magic mm-hmm. out there. Um, Iowa State has a game this weekend. I'm interested to see now as a ranked team, bit of a target on their backs. I think that they're the better team in the game. They're going to go to Creighton on Saturday night and, and play there. Still going to be 19,000 screaming fans there. And a, a Blue Jays team that, that actually hasn't looked pretty, but they only have one loss to date. Um, so I think that for, the, uh, for Iowa State, like this is a program that had been so consistent for a little while um, that – you know, in, in these recent years, they, they needed to go through this transformation. And, man, have they transformed. I really like the, the makeup of this team. I think that they defend, and I think that they defended in Brooklyn. Um, and, man, what they were able to do um, this past week out in Brooklyn uh, against, you know, uh, against a Memphis team that, frankly, I, I don't know what, what was going on with them offensively. I still don't know. And that was one of my biggest takeaways, too. The questions that we had about Memphis are still there. Like they're they, valid, yeah. I mean, that's that's my biggest, my single biggest question mark coming out of Feast Week is like, look, we knew there were going to be issues with Memphis point guard play, but they they rank right now 355th in turnover rate in college basketball. 355th. That means in terms of the percentage of possessions that ended in a turnover, there are only three teams that are worse than them in college basketball right now. IUPUI is worse than them, one of the worst teams in college basketball. Houston Baptist, again, another one of the worst teams in college basketball. And Jacksonville, who's not very good. Those are the only three teams that turn the ball over at a higher rate than Memphis does. And stop, that, making, stop making dudes what they're not. Yeah. Like, stop trying to make dudes what they're not. Freaking put – run some screens for Imani. Let him do something for you on a one-on-one basis. Stop letting them just run down and jack shots. No pass jacks. That's what I was going to ask you guys. Like, how do you fix this? If, if you don't have a point guard and you don't have someone that can get you in the offense, like, Amani is a 17-year-old that's wired to get his shots up, right? That's the way that he plays. How do you coach that out of him? How do you make someone be something that yeah. they're not? Because what he is, what we're seeing out of him right now, that's what he is. That's what he's always been at the high school level. So how do you get that out of him? You, you, you slow it down. You run some offense. Like, I understand that your talent, you, your talent is perceived as overwhelming, especially offensively, but you're not showing it because you're not putting guys in position to score. Like, stop letting Earl Timberlake dribble down and try to attack the middle and spin and try to finish. Like, I understand he's a big physical dude, not a point guard. When you don't have a point guard, set up offense. You can free flow your offense when you have a really good point guard. Like, if you don't have a solid point guard right away, or you're dealing with a freshman point guard, you need to manufacture more stuff. That's just the bottom line. And this holy money, Fran Fraschella was just roasting him. Like I've never heard Fran get as get on a team as hard as what he was getting on Memphis. It's like, what are you doing? Like I, I was like, Fran's like, what are you doing? Imani Bates is not a point guard. Stop this nonsense. Make him what he is. He's a bucket getter. We talked about it before. I'm pretty sure we predicted this. We knew this was going to happen. Like, stop making, stop trying to make him a point guard because Penny Hardaway, you're a point guard. Let Imani do what Imani does. He's a scorer. Yeah, but, Let him be a scorer. Yeah, but what this is 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 in a in a back room when you're talking with a recruit, 
and he wants to be the ball handler, he wants to be the point guard, um, that, that then you agree to it and he's going to come to come play for you as a result. So what this is to me is a promise that makes no sense, um, that they're trying to make a kid something that he's not. And that's on the coaching staff. Hey, and that shit's all cute. Those promises, those, those promises are all cute and shit until you're 351st in offense. Then it's like, fuck your promises. Gosh, I'm, I'm going nuts right now. Yeah, no, forget you're, your, you're Yeah, not, yeah. You're so forget right, your promises. Like, you got to – I'm sorry for swearing so much. Like, forget your promises, dude. You need to get busy, run some offense, and manufacture some stuff. Put your guys in positions to score. How many duck-ins have you seen Jalen Duren do? Not many. Dude, that dude is our Hulk – he is a beast. He's not even getting the ball unless they're dump offs. What are we doing? Like, you take advantages of the bodies that you have and, and run some cross screens. Get Imani the ball at 15 feet on the wing. Let him do something. He's got, and he, he measured short, but he's got enough height and length to get over college kids. What are we doing? Like, I understand this whole thing. Like, oh, we recruit kids. We want to play free. We want to let them go. You can't let them do that if they're not good enough to do that. And if they don't have the mindset to play for the next guy and not a single person, at Memphis that's playing there right now has the mindset for the next guy. And that's a problem. And you're seeing the result of that problem right now because Earl Timberlake thinks he's the dude. Realistically, he's probably the fourth option. And I know he was a top 20 kid, but Lester Keones has earned that third spot because he has scored consistently at Memphis. Like Imani Bates and Jalen Duran, you brought them in to be dudes. Let them be dudes, set them up, put them in position to be dudes. What are we doing? It's ridiculous. Slow the ball down. Your defense is great. Slow the ball down, put your guys in position, and turn it into a one-on-one affair. But at the same time, put them in position where they can be successful in the one-on-one. If you're going down in a semi-break situation, I saw this four times against Iowa State. So it's four times. If Iowa State's all the way back on defense, don't let them keep going. Pull the ball out. That's Penny's responsibility. Pull the ball out. Like, stop letting Earl Timberlake go up there and just throw something up. It's ridiculous. You're right. Sorry, that, guys. Well, Y'all want to clip that? You can. I just went berserk. No, I didn't the, mean to go that crazy. What's frustrating about watching them, though, you're 100 percent right. Is it's like the decisions that they make. It, it's almost always the wrong play. Like there was there was one example that that someone was texted to me the clip of this. It's uh, the 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 offense is set up. It was early in the Iowa State game, and Amani is supposed to run off of a dribble handoff for Jalen Durant, right? But the Iowa, the Iowa defender reads it, gets on top of Amani, so he goes back door. Jalen Durant throws this beautiful little bounce pass, and, and Amani's got the ball. It's basically a two-on-one situation. you got a guy in the, the opposite corner and a help side defender under the basket, and Amani's there 12 feet from the rim. And you know what he does? He drives in, he spins, and he tries to throw an over-the-shoulder pass that ends up going straight into press, press row, a blind over-the-shoulder pass. The oh, options no. that were there, take that pull-up. Don't hit the guy in the, the corner and the whatever, what is the uh, a hammer action, right? You know, hit the guy in the corner. If the dude in the corner is coming to the rim, throw the ball up to the rim, let him go get it. I think it was Malcolm Dandridge or something. Like, there were 17 different decisions that he can make. And the one that he made was he went into the help defender, he spun, threw the ball over his shoulder, blind pass, hit somebody and pressed her on the head, broke his computer. That's, that's the decision that he made. And that right there, to me, sums up everything about what's wrong with this Memphis team right now. They're not making good decisions. They don't have they don't have someone that's going to step up and be like, no, that's not that's not the way that we're doing this. And that they, I think they make the NCAA tournament. I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I, I think, don't think so. Not at this rate. Not unless they fix I something quick. They're gonna they're gonna fix it. There, there's the the big. They thing, haven't fixed it yet. They've been there for three years. 
Well, here, I mean, here's the thing. I, you got Larry Brown in there for a reason, right? So may, maybe this is what they, they, they've won all their games before this. We talk about how sometimes you need a good loss. You just got your ass kicked by Iowa State. And look, I, I know Iowa State had a great week in, in, in Barclays. I don't, I'm still not convinced that this Iowa State team is going to end up being a tournament team this year, right? You just got your ass kicked by Iowa State. If that's not going to open up your eyes, then I don't know if anything will. And if that, if this, if this isn't the wake up call that they needed, then like you're right, we we can we can stick a fork in this uh, Memphis season now. But I, I think that they're going to find a way. Why else do you have Larry Brown there to be able to fix shit like this, right? The problem is when you have trouble manufacturing efficient offense you're susceptible to losing to anybody in the American. And if you lose to the wrong team in the American, that could really damage you. Yep. 100%. Um, All right. And look, and and there's another thing too, like Memphis, some of their stuff, you said they were undefeated up until that game. A lot of their stuff is going to be blinded because they're winning against bad non-cons. Who all they played prior to that? Do you have that? Yeah, I, the best one was Western Kentucky. Okay, um, so Western Kentucky is not very good this year. I, yeah, like, they beat. Well, they, I mean, they, it wasn't the worst. Lo- they they beat Virginia Tech on a neutral floor. Damn, have they been disappointing? What the yeah. heck happened to Virginia yeah. Tech? Virginia, like Virginia Tech. But the thing about Virginia Tech is they're just not the kind of team that's going to give Memphis problems because they don't have the individual defenders to kind of slow those guys down. True. Um, and Memphis's athleticism just kind of was too much for them. Same thing with Western Kentucky. Same thing with St. Louis. Um, and like, I, I watched the St. Louis and Western Kentucky games. Like they weren't, they weren't awful. It was just, once you got against a team that could go out there and force turnovers, that's kind of what they did in Iowa state. That That's, we saw a team just give the ball away over and over and over. Can we talk about Gabe Kalsh here for a second? What a pickup that was. Big time. He was really, outstanding. Really, really good, man. Like some of these Minnesota guys, as soon as Patino left, like everybody dispersed and you kind of wonder what's going to happen. Yep. He is. He was terrific. Very good. Minnesota, Ben Johnson, 5-0, and going on the road to Pitt tonight. Going to have a chance to get to 6-0. and Good start for him. A chance. chance. Bet chance. the house. That game's over. That game well, is over. Minnesota, just a two-and-a-half point uh, favorite right now for, for those of you that are inclined to bet. Duke, just a two-point favorite at Ohio State for those of you that are inclined to use our partners at Bet Rivers to put a little money down. I know that Vance is a big gambling guy. so uh, Solid yeah. plug. They're just a one-possession favorite against Ohio State. Holy cow! Yeah, what what they're doing is they're. I was I was I was texting with the odds makers at Bet Rivers last night, and they were like, "Yeah, we were going to make them a seven-point favorite, but uh, our sources are telling us that uh, that Ohio State hid the Gatorade again." From uh from from Duke, so they're, <laughs> predicting, they're predicting cramps in the second half for Palo Bancaro. Uh, anyway, guys, listen, this has been fun. We had some good conversations. You got to hear a to explosion. We I don't do that explosion. often, boys. I don't do that often. And and you know what the craziest part is? We just did an entire podcast, and we didn't mention a single Big East team. It's good for us. We're Big East guys. We're we didn't the- we didn't we didn't do the biggest disappointment of the year. All right, you want to do? Let's do biggest appointments. Go, go, Fanta. Can you? Can you? Can we do that fast? Yeah, let's do it fast. Go ahead, right. and then we'll get out of here. Um, the biggest disappointment of the year, uh, man. I guess. I guess if I had to pick one thus far, um, I would. I'd probably say Butler. So there you go. I brought up a Big East team. <laughs> I, I look, at, look, at, look at Fanta. That's what we call vamping. 
for uh, for people that aren't in the TV industry. So Vanta had nothing prepared, and he's like, "Oh, let me let me check these Ken Palm ratings real quick to try to come up with someone." Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Pretty well. The the Pac twelve. knew. I mean, come on. Like, I I bought into the Pac twelve. I thought I had a big thing in the preseason about this is the Pac 12s window of opportunity to try to capitalize off of last year. The Pac-12 has been disappointing. It really has been disappointing. You, you, again, another league where your middle of the league is taking losses to bad teams. You know, to mid, they're, they're losing by game after by game. That hurts your league during conference play because then if you pick off one of the top teams and your metrics aren't good, that, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. So I've been Washington extremely- State. I was so into Washington State, and then they just lost to Eastern Washington at home last week. It just mm. the Pac-12 has been flat out bad. It's what been you, bad. What do you have, To most disappointing, uh, Syracuse. Like oh, we true. we came in and we were thinking, man, this team can really score it. They got a lot of guys that can shoot forty percent from three. Might be. I, I don't think might be. I think there's a pretty solid argument for them being the most unathletic team that Bayheim's ever had and I get it and they're very vanilla that's all I'm going to say and I know where you're <laughs> getting with that I know where you get but they are they're not they're not athletic there's there's a uh, athletic white dudes out there but but they're not on Syracuse's team <laughs> like Joe Girard is I'm lost like Kadari Richmond like should have been playing last year and you could have had Gerard come off the bench and be a spark plug right. for your offense. Like that's what should have been happening. And it wasn't happening. So what happens? You lose him. They're not playing Benny Williams enough. Like they don't have any type of elite athleticism on that team. Barama Sadibe has not been playing. He's been in and out. Uh, Jesse Edwards has been a pleasant surprise. He's been, a, I mean, he's been good. He, he ended off good last year, but Cole Swider, good player, good piece. Not somebody you should rely on. Uh, Jimmy Bayheim, nope. Uh, like, Buddy Bayheim is good, but he's going to be really good if you have guys around him. He's still been good. Like, let's not go crazy here. Buddy Bayheim's still Buddy Bayheim, but they just can't cover parts of the floor against a team with athletes. And you saw it against Auburn. Like, they just can't cover all the spots that you need to cover in order for that Syracuse zone to be good. And if you look back, and I'm just going to – this is not even right to compare it, but the national championship team at Syracuse, who were on the bottom wings? Carmelo Anthony and Hakeem Warwick. Who are on the bottom wings now? Jimmy Bayheim and Cole Swider. Like, it's not a good combination. It's been, it's, been, it's been rough to watch. And offensively, they haven't been good enough to get anything done to where they cover up for those defensive flaws. Yeah, they don't have any – they have all these great shooters. They don't have anyone that can kind of create that first closeout to make sure that those shooters – get open shots instead of getting forced into taking tough shots. They, they, nobody to set off the chain of events. We talked about it at the beginning of the year, didn't we? I mean, like even in the ACC, I worry about who's going to be able to get into the paint. That's my biggest concern. Who's going to be able to get into the paint to force that, force that first help and pitch. There's nobody. And there, and you could do it. And, and Randolph made a point at the beginning of the year. You can do it by setting about, you know, down screens and then have them curl into the paint, create some rim pressure. They're not doing that either. So it's tough. I feel like I've been negative today. I'm a very positive dude. Well, and here I am being negative. Because you're what happens when you're in a courtyard in, uh, in, in Piscataway and they give you decaf cough. That's horse shit decaf. Uh, so my biggest disappointment was going to be Oregon, but Fanta kind of touched on that already with the Pac-12. 
um, which means that I had to switch it up. And I'm going to go with I, – I didn't want to go with Illinois because I think that so much of what they're dealing with right now is a result of injuries and illnesses and uh, not having – bodies consistently there for practice like when you're trying to install all your stuff and you don't have all of your best players like around to be able to do that it can be a little bit difficult when you have so many guys being asked to step into new roles so i'm not going with illinois i'm not going with michigan because i think that michigan is going to find a way to turn it around Absolutely, i agree young guys that weren't quite ready for the situation i'm going with north carolina because oh i i was expecting that team to compete for an acc regular season title this year you have the talent on the roster to be able to do it. You have the bodies. You have a guy in Caleb Love that should be great. You have a very, very good backcourt with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. You have a five-man in Armando Baycott that should be able to do what the best five men in North Carolina are able to do. Brady Manick, uh, Dawson Garth, Like there's, there's too much talent on that roster for this team to not be relevant right now. And right now, they're I, I hate to say it, but they're not really all that relevant. When you get your ass kicked, by Tennessee and you get your ass kicked by Purdue the way that they did at the Hall of Fame Classic, they got a guard. They, they don't play any defense. None. Here's here's a hot take for you. If this team does not start playing defense at a significantly better level, they're not making the NCAA tournament. They're going too, to the NIT this year. That too hot. You left that in the microwave too long. Yeah. Like you like they're going to end up being a top five team in the ACC because look at the ACC. There's going to be five teams that make it. Yeah. The, the so other they'll make is, the tournament. I, I just – One NBA well, scout. Are you sure about that? I think so, yeah. Who are the five? Okay, so let's just say right now, the five teams, we're going to go for another hour. Uh, Duke, obviously. Yeah. I think Virginia Tech will end up making the tournament because they're going to be good in conference. You wait and watch. Um, Florida shit, State. Florida, Florida State. Gonna get there. Louisville's going to get there. Louisville, Louisville four. Carolina, five. I think Virginia's still got a chance to get there. Virginia's, Virginia's going to find a way – Tony Bennett's going to figure something out and they're going to end up going 16 and four in the ACC. My favorite thing about Carolina was during the off season, they would put out all these videos and stuff on Twitter, like all these universities do. And it would be like Hubert going crazy and saying like, we got to compete on defense. we got to compete on defense. And it was just a whole bunch of highlights of them getting buckets. <laughs> like they're not playing defense and they're still not. And there's no scheme to how they're playing defense. We'll see. Ask me Friday. I'm telling you, I, I don't know. I, I think it's probably a four. It's closer to four than it is to six. Maybe we'll see the other part though. Fanta. I'm just saying, I mean, the sleep hasn't done thing. enough. You got but, one ranked team. One. That's true. One, but Fan, Fanta, team. Fanta, here's the thing. Pac-12, the bottom has been horrible. We just talked about how we don't know if they're going to be able to get all that many bids. The Big Ten has been super disappointing. A lot of the mid teams in the middle of that conference have not been as great as we expected. The Big East was really good at the start of the year, won a bunch of big games, kind of falling off. And, and you know, it's basically a five or six team league at this point. I don't think you're going to get more than six bids. Big East Lander. Big East Lander. Yeah, I mean, teams not named Butler or Georgetown are 49 and 9. 49 and 9. So you think, so DePaul, all right, lock DePaul in to an NCAA tournament. No, no, I'm not locking DePaul, but I know he's going to go. UConn's going to go. Seton Hall's going to go. St. John's going to make it. Xavier's going to make it. And Marquette's going to make it. Are you you positive that St. John's is going to find a way to get in? I think they'll make it, yeah. Because I'm not. I'm not. I think they're going to be in for a little bit of a rude. I do. I, I think sometimes we give benefit of the doubt to name over sometimes what a team actually is. So does the committee. We'll so we'll does see. the committee. We'll, so we'll, the committee I, does we'll see. All I know is that St. John's is not 
What 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 have they done this season that has made nothing. you okay? That team is that team nothing. is nothing. It has nothing to do with the name. They lost to Indiana on the road, right? They lost they to Indiana overtime by NJIT. They all they can handle out of St. Francis. Like they're not they're not beating people badly. So that look, if you know, how about this? I'll put it like this: If St. John's is going to be a team that makes the tournament, then that game against Kansas is going to be a fight. I think they're probably going to lose by fifteen. I just don't. I, I we'll see. I don't know. Well, I'm, see, not, no, I'm a big proponent. They, their non-conference schedule wasn't good enough. Uh, it's not good enough. But yeah, I mean that's that's the shitty part about this is that you talk about how the committee just values a name. Like Virginia is not an NCAA tournament team. They're not. I, but my thing is that I think they're going to find a way to win enough games where they get there. We've said this like the last three years. And look, it's it's a very different Virginia team right now than the Tony Bennett's best. Like he doesn't have NBA wings. There is no Joe Harris. There is no Justin Anderson. There is no DeAndre Hunter. There is no Braxton Key. There is no Malcolm Brockton. Like normally he has these big, strong, athletic dudes on the perimeter that can really make that, that pack line defense pop because – I mean, look, when you got Justin Anderson closing out at you, six foot eight, long athletic, contesting your jumper, that's very different than Reese Beekman, who's good. He's really, really good, but he's like six two and skinny. There's 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 an intimidation factor that comes when you have Justin Anderson, and that that's not there when you have Reese Beekman coming at you. But he finds a way to get it done. Like I think he might have found something last night with this Tane, uh, whatever the kid, the freshman. He's good. The the kid from New Zealand. He's a good player. Yeah. Now he's oh. not ready. He's not ready. They're not. For, here's my thing with Virginia. They'll squeak into the tournament. They will. Like that's just it's just gonna happen. They're gonna Santa. win 16 games in the They're East. gonna win. They're they're gonna win games. And yeah. here's the thing, they're gonna squeak in this year. Next year it could get interesting because Caden Shedrick's a little bit of time away. He's getting close. He's getting really close. Tane Murray is that big physical wing. He's got some good athleticism. White guy, athleticism. There you go. Kind of counter my point earlier. Like Reese Beekman is a dude. I I I'm kind of excited about Kihei Clark finishing his ninth year there in Charlottesville because then the ball is going to rest in Reese Beekman's hands a little bit more. And he shows ability to get in that lane pretty quick now. Like, I think we're a little bit in that building process if we're Virginia and he's trying to soften the blow with some of these transfers with Armand Franklin and Gardner. But I, Virginia is close to being really good again. You wait and watch. It's well, not going to be this year. It's not going to be this year. Is, their out-of-league tests are done. So they'll win in their league and they'll get in. Yep, that's kind of where I'm at with the two. All right, well, listen, it's been fun, guys. It's been we we tried to end this like Five three. Dude, this was explosive. This was it, explosive. It, today. <laughs> it was explosive. So, for John Fanta, for Terrence Olgesby, my name is Rob Dawson. This was the DTF podcast.